Hey, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. It is an awesome privilege to fill the pulpit every Sunday at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Having you listen to our messages on this podcast is an incredible blessing as well. And I pray that you will be encouraged in the Lord as you listen. It is vital that you commit yourself and your family to the Lord through the ministry of a local church. While it is a great blessing to have you listen to our messages, no one will be able to minister the Word of God to you or your family like a local pastor. So please do not consider this podcast as a replacement for your presence in your local church on Sunday. Be faithful, get connected, and God bless. by guest preachers that First Baptist is a very enjoyable place to preach. And I always tell them I know. That's why I don't go away too often because I, I enjoy preaching here. And uh, I think there's many reasons, but one reason is we, we have a, a spirit of celebration in our church that I'm very grateful for. We... Uh, get excited when we sing about uh, the cross and we celebrate the things that God has done and the things that God blesses. And that's important. We'll never lose a spirit of celebration if we celebrate what God blesses and what God celebrates. And I was going to do this at the end of the service uh, after the invitation today, but I'm going to go ahead and do it now talking about celebrating what God blesses. Uh, today is Bill and Debbie Mowers' 52nd wedding anniversary, or this week. Would y'all stand up? Stand up. Stand up. There you go. And we celebrate that because that's a testimony of a commitment ordained by the Lord Himself all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The first thing... Uh, the first thing God gave Adam was a job. The second thing God gave Adam was a wife. Amen? And uh, Bill and Debbie are very encouraging. Debbie's one of the most prayed for ladies in our church. Uh, 52 years of Bill. and uh, No, I'm playing. I have to pick on Bill. He picks on me. But uh, I get to do it from the pulpit. In front of all of you and live on YouTube. So amen, Bill. I love them with all my heart. They're so encouraging and uh, always encouraging. And I love them and their sweet family. So thank you for such a good again. We celebrate what God has done by giving you to us in this testimony. Amen. Well, to open up your Bibles, if you will, to 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse, uh, beginning with verse 16, as we continue through this marvelous book, Remember, Peter is talking to us about standing for truth in trying times. We have finished 1 Peter where he talked about bearing testimony in trying times. And if you have one of the uh, sermon guides that we publish, I think there's some up here. If you don't have one, you can uh, pick one up uh, on your way out. But um, uh, this is one right here. And... Uh, uh, they're free. You can take one and follow along. But you might notice in today's 
uh, sermon. We have a, a small table that just kind of gives you some of the basic differences between First uh, Peter and Second uh, Peter. They're the same, but yet they have a different twist. One talks about our testimony, how to have a testimony for Christ during struggling times. And Second Peter deals with our bearing truth, holding true to the doctrines of the faith. This epistle, Peter is combating false doctrine, false teachers. And uh, he does an interesting thing. He gets real personal. When we get to chapter 2, we're going to see just how rough he was on false teachers. Not only their doctrine, but false teachers. And uh, he, uh, he does a magnificent job when he describes for us. It's almost as if, and I don't want to offend anybody, but if you're offended, uh, it's because you want to be, not because I want you to be. But uh, it's almost like he's talking about televangelists when we get into chapter 2. It's amazing. And uh, they didn't have television evangelists back then. Uh, they didn't even have radio preachers back then. But he sure does that. You know why? It's always the same. Sin and sinful men never change. We're always the same. And so uh, he deals with that. And as a result, or for his purpose, and to deal with those false teachers, he began in chapter 1 talking to us about our glorious salvation. Because that's the doctrine that's at stake. That is really what is at stake. We start hearing false doctrine and we say, well, that's not a big deal. That's, that's, uh, that's not a problem. It snowballs on us and ere long the very doctrine of salvation is being attacked. Even within our churches. And that's what P- Peter's talking about, the enemies within our churches. And so... Uh, We need to make note of that, and we'll deal with that when we get into chapter 2 a little bit more. But he's dealing with salvation, and then he deals with our assurance of salvation. If you are not assured of your salvation and do not go to the right place and in the right way, God's way to gain assurance of your salvation, you will fall prey to false doctrine and false teachers in that search, that vain search to gain assurance assurance of your salvation. And Peter tells us uh, now, beginning last week, we talked about the Word of God. And last week we talked about how we need to remember what the Word of God teaches. And we looked at how the Bible was written and our tendency to forget the things we should remember and remember the things we should forget. Does that happen to you? It happens to me. It happened to me many, many times this week. I would tell you about one of them, but I forgot. (laughs) But I want to tell you, that's the way it is. And we have a problem remembering the doctrines of the faith, especially when we get in the hot seat and it's time to quote Scripture or it's time to apply Scripture and we feel rushed, we feel like we're in a hurry and we make the wrong decision contrary to the Word of God because we forget. And we looked at how the Bible was written and gave you some points about how to remember the doctrines of the Word of God. Well, today Peter continues in his discussion on the Word of God, the Bible. And he will do so for the next couple of weeks in terms of our preaching. And today 
He's talking about the sure word. So today's message is the sure word, part one. Next week, Lord willing, it'll be the sure word, part two. And so I invite you to turn with me into the Bible, your Bibles, chapter 1, verse 16 of Second Peter. And this is what Peter says after he has talked about how he, we need to remember and how he's doing everything he can before he dies to give us a tool for remembering the word. And it's his epistles, no doubt. This is what he says. He says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory, honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with Him in the holy mount. In the holy mountain. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Well, there are many false teachings out there, and if we are not careful, they will get in here. Peter had to battle him, battle them in his day, and many of them had already permeated the early church. These wonderful people who were soon to be persecuted for their faith under Nero were having to battle and be subjected to false teachers and false teaching even back then. And so when Peter deals with them, he hits it head on. He gets very specific. And one of the false doctrines that they were denying or teaching, purporting, was denying the second coming of Christ. They were denying that Jesus was coming back one day. And we're going to deal with that in chapter 3. And it's so relevant to today. It's so pertinent to today. You're going to be amazed when we get into that chapter about what they were doing and how people deny the second coming of Christ in very subtle, subtle ways. We'll deal with that when we get to chapter 3 in the year 2027. But for today, we're going to deal with verse 16 through verse 21, or a portion thereof. He knew that denying the second coming of Christ would destroy the zeal of the church. To ignore it, to deny it, destroys the zeal of the church. I mentioned today how we celebrate here at First Baptist. We're a celebrative church. We love to celebrate in this worship center. We love to respond to the songs of our faith. We love to be encouraged with beautiful music that puts in our minds the great truths of the Scripture we've learned and remember and have 
through the years. And we celebrate those things. But if there were no second coming of Jesus, there would be no celebration. There'd be no reason to celebrate. It would be doom and gloom because this old world would be falling apart. It is the second coming of Christ that motivates us to holy living. To holy living. Dr. Lee Robertson, one of my heroes who uh, gone to be with the Lord now from Tennessee, I read a quote of his this morning. And it said, every morning a Christian needs to get up and say, today could be the day that Jesus comes again. And say, I pray that I will be ready for when the Lord comes again. It inspires us and encourages us to holy living. The Bible says, he that hath this hope in him purifies himself, cleanses himself. It motivates us in terms of evangelism, to win the lost, to share the gospel. It motivates us in terms of hope, to have hope in, in this old crazy world. Amen? Endurance. It gives us endurance to endure to the end until Jesus comes. It gives us the urgency of our mission, the Great Commission, to make disciples. It's what we long for and what we live for. Christ's return. And Peter hits it head on in this text, but he does something that is remarkable. It is the most, one of the most pertinent truths that we're going to look at today in today's church. I see it and deal with it all often, so much. And Peter nails it. He gets the job done for us today. And so let's look at what Peter says. And remember, this section, he's telling us about the Word of God. You've got to keep that in mind. He's talking about the sure Word, the Word of God. So first of all, Peter tells us what he witnessed. After he had talked to us about remembering the Scriptures, Peter um, remembers an event for us that he uh, happened to view and something that he saw firsthand. And in verse 16, he says, When we, now that's the apostles, uh, the men of God that uh, were used by God to pen the pages of the Scripture, the New Testament, and in particular, he's talking about himself and James and John when he says we. It's real important. He doesn't say just me. He says we. Because there's some people in there who would say, well, if you just saw it, that there's no collaboration. You know, one witness doesn't make for a fact. You've got to have at least two. Well, he says we, and he's speaking of himself and James and John. And he says we were not relying on some myth or some fable or some story when we told you about what we saw on the mountain with Jesus. We were not following. We were not pursuing. That word following, he says, we were not taking something and saying this is the authority. It's authoritative just because it is what someone said. He said, we don't accept a myth as authoritative. We don't follow those cunningly 
deceptive, always an ulterior concealed motive. He said, we don't follow those type of myths, fables. He said, what we're talking about is something we heard and something we saw. And he tells them, what do you mean denying the second coming of Christ? He basically says in this text, we have seen it. Peter says, I've seen the second coming of Christ. God gave me a glimpse of it. And James and John were with me. We saw it. And so notice what he says. He says, when we made on unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, we saw it. We heard the voice. And it was the power and coming of his Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice, this is very important to understanding what Peter is telling us here. He has some missing words that we put in if we're not careful. He doesn't say the power and the coming. He puts them together. Power and coming. Speaking of what he saw on the Mount of Transfiguration, a glimpse of the parousia, the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ the second time. See, the Transfiguration was about the second coming of Jesus. What God did there is He took Jesus, led Jesus up to that mountain and Peter, James, and John went up with Him and it was going to be a glorious event. It was going to be a powerful event. I mean, folks, what would you do if Jesus said, come up to a mountaintop with me? I mean, if you're Jewish, you love a mountaintop because Moses went up to the mountain and saw great things. Abraham did something great on a mountain one day. Study the Bible mountains. A lot of great things happened on the mountains. But a lot of good things happened along the seashore for us coastal people too. But we're talking about a mountain right now. And they climbed up top of that mountain. Now, what would you do? Wouldn't you be excited? Wouldn't you be fired up? Wouldn't you be anticipating something great? Well, these three guys fell asleep. The Gospel of Luke says they fell asleep. I don't have time to preach on that, but I'll just say, isn't that like us? Now, they woke up in time to see what God wanted them to see and hear what God wanted them to hear. He always wakes us up. Uh, at the right time, and he did them. But Peter says, we were awake and we were able to see the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were able to see a glimpse of it. It's like, it's like God took them to a window and said, now I'm just going to open the blinds just a little bit. So you can get a peek. And they did. They did. And they saw the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the second coming when he comes in power to rule and reign and judge the world. And Peter says, why are you denying the second coming of Christ? I'm telling you. I, along with James and John, 
We saw it. How dare you tell us that it's not going to happen or that it's a myth or that we're wrong? We saw it. We were eyewitnesses. We saw His majesty. We saw His majesty. Shepherds at His birth saw His humility. Wise men saw His humility. But we, on that mountain, saw His majesty. I love this word uh, majesty. It has the word mega connected to it. And it means great, huge, visible splendor. And then He says again, we. We saw the majesty of His life, the majesty of His words and wonders, the majesty of His death, the majesty of His resurrection. We saw the majesty of His ascension. Yes, we saw all of that. We were eyewitnesses. But we three saw on the mountain that day, we saw the majesty of His second coming and power. That's what Peter says. The curtain was pulled back for a bit, and His majesty cast a ray of glory. And then he describes it. Verse 17, For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from that excellent glory, this is my beloved Son whom I'm well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So he basically says, You go and follow your myths if you want to, but you're denying the power of of God when you deny the second coming of Christ. I saw it. I'm an eyewitness to His majesty and glory and honor. If you don't believe me, talk to John. He's still alive. James is gone. Now, can you imagine what one of them might have said to him? Peter, what do you mean you saw the second coming of Jesus? When he hadn't come yet. It hadn't happened yet. How could you see it when it hadn't happened yet? I can just imagine the argument. Even if it's going to happen, how can you claim to have seen it when it hasn't happened? And Peter then tells them that he and James and John saw his majesty, his glory, heard God speak. And in order to understand it, we need to go back to the Gospel of Matthew. And I want to show you some things that relate here, and then we're going to twist it around to where we get to the point where Peter just nails it to the barn door. So go with me to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to look at verse 28. And that's on page 1368 if you want to look in your pew Bible. Peter is saying this is what happened, so let's go back and see what happened. I want to read it to you. Verily I say unto you, there shall be some standing here. This is Matthew 16, verse 28. There shall be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. And after six days... Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brings them up into a high mountain apart and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. 
And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then answered Peter. So by now, they, Luke tells us they fell asleep when they got up there. And so by now they woke up in and, and, and time to see Moses and Elijah. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were more afraid. They weren't afraid of Moses and Elijah, but when God spoke, they fell on their face. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Peter says, What we teach you and what we're telling you is based upon a historical reality and a historical fact. So let me give you some observations about this transfiguration before we get back to the text. We see, first of all, it happened in real time, in a real place. Peter called it the Holy Mount. Every place Jesus goes is holy. Everywhere Jesus is is a holy place. Is he in you? You're a holy person. You're made holy. Be ye holy as I am holy. This is a historical event. It has sufficient witnesses to be true and to be believed. It's very interesting. It was witnessed by three men who were on earth, two who came down from heaven, and witnessed by God himself. No other fact in history has ever had that kind of proof or those kind of witnesses. It's one of the most unique witnessed events in all of history. Happened in real time. Dear friend, if you're one of these who may not trust the Scriptures enough to believe it talks about real time, real place, real people, history, you better check your calling and election because the cross is something that is in real time with real people and real history as well. Well, everything, another observation is, is everything that happened here on the mountain. Everything had a ground in the Word of God. Nothing happened here that God did not say would happen. In Matthew 16, 28, he, he says, Verily I say unto you, there, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. In other words, he says there's going to be some people right here who will not die until they see the second coming of Christ, till I come in my kingdom. Now, he was talking about Peter, James, and John, because six days later, this prophecy was fulfilled on this mountain. Jesus said these words, and he made this prophecy. It was the word of God, and it came to pass. Notice, verse 28 also says, that the transfiguration is about the second coming of Jesus and His kingdom to rule and reign in power and glory. The word that happened to Jesus transfigured 
We get our word metamorphosis from it. A change took place. His face did shine like the sun. And his raiment was white as snow. It was a radiated glory. It came from within. That's a remarkable thing. And then Moses and Elijah appeared. Luke says that they talked about the cross. The cross. But the conversation centered around the second coming, glory and majesty of our Savior. At this time, Peter, James, and John had awakened. And notice in Matthew, poor old Peter, God help Peter. I mean, Lord, it's amazing. Remember, this is about 30 some odd years before he wrote 2 Peter. He grew a lot. Aren't you glad we grow? Well, he grew a lot. And, and let's, not get, let's not be too hard on him. I mean, he said something that was just, oh, good grief, Peter. I mean, how many of you ever had something like that? Huh? Where you just walk away and you say, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. Well, if you haven't, you don't say much. <laughs> Amen. Well, it's easy for us to look back on it and say, Peter, you shouldn't have said that because we've read the whole Bible. Well, Peter says, boy, I like this, Lord. I like this. Let's make this permanent. Let's build three chapels up here. One for you. One for Moses. One for Elijah. And, and let's do this. It'd be wonderful. But the mission of Christ had to be accomplished. Before he could wear the crown, he'd have to bear the cross. And he knew that. All of heaven knew that. Now, notice this. This is of the utmost importance. If you miss this, you're not going to understand our text. You're going to miss our text. This is very important. Peter speaks of this back in the text. He says, we saw His majesty. We saw that metamorphosis. We saw that glory just shine through. We saw something remarkable. And he says, then we heard this voice. We heard this voice. And I imagine Peter remembered the fear that fell upon them when they heard the voice of God Almighty speaking. Now, folks, listen, why would that voice put fear in them? Well, because our Matthew describes a cloud that came down. And he describes the voice of God ringing out. And if, if you were Peter, you no doubt, and James and John, you would have no doubt remembered your Bible. And you remembered when Moses went up on Mount Sinai. And a cloud led them by day and fire by night. And that cloud and fire permeated that mountain. And God spoke to Moses and gave him the law. And God wrote with his finger what we call the Ten Commandments. You remember that? And God said, don't even come touch the rim of this mountain. If your donkey gets loose and steps on the edge of this mountain, your donkey's going to die and I'll kill you too. 
This is such a holy place. So you can imagine when that cloud circled that mountain and God's voice spoke. Oh, Peter thought, we not only on the rim of the mountain, we up on the mountain. What's going to happen to us? Now, I'm proud of old Peter right there because he recognized and feared the holiness of God. That is a proper reverence. Right? And he had that reverence. But everything that happened here was based in the Word of God, something that God had said. And Peter remembered that voice, Hear ye him. This is my beloved son, hear ye him. And to understand this, we have to go all the way back to something Moses taught in the book of Deuteronomy. So I invite you to go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 18. And I want to show you something here. Deuteronomy chapter 18. This was what was on Peter's mind when he heard this. I tell you what, let's go back to 18, chapter 18 of Deuteronomy, verse 9. And he's talking to the next generation of Israel, the generation that would go into the promised land, getting them ready. And he says, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God gives thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abomination of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that makes his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. That was a pagan idol worship where they would burn their little children alive in worship to those Canaanite gods. He says, don't do that. Don't kill your babies on the altars of a false god. Or that uses divination. Don't let anybody be found among you that uses divination or an observer of times, reading the stars and all that, or an enchanter or a witch or a charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits or a wizard or a necromancer, somebody who communicates with the dead or tries to. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. He's going to drive them out because he doesn't want them to influence you. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. In other words, you don't need any of those things. You don't need palm readers. You don't need horoscopes. You don't need enchanters. You know, there used to be one on Highway 90, and I can remember when I first moved here, I saw that big hand and on a sign, Highway. Remember that? Palm reader. Mother so-and-so. She ain't my mother. Anyway, going down the road, and I just pray, God, get that out of our town. And I think they're gone. I hope they're gone. They may have their hands somewhere else, but get them gone. You don't need that. Well, preacher... I like to watch that, that television show about that psychic or psychic that shows, you know. 
Well, you don't need that. God says, don't, don't do that. And by the way, if you're calling those phone numbers, uh, well, I, I just don't know what to tell you, uh, <laughs> except for what Deuteronomy tells you. It's an abomination to God. And, and I'll say this, uh, you're spending a lot of money. Why don't you give 10% of your money to the church and get a Bible and read what the God of all creation has to say who knows the end from the beginning. And, uh, you know, another thing I hear people say, well, they really helped me. What, what she said or what he said, I don't want to get into feminine, you know, I don't want to, you know, he or she, doesn't matter, was true. It just, it, it, it turned out to be true. Well, so what? God says avoid it. It's an abomination to him. He might have pegged you. He might, or she might have known everything, said everything just right. And you're sitting there saying, whoa, that's right. Well, so what? The issue here isn't their accuracy. The issue here is an abomination to God. It's idolatry. It's sin. And by the way, even the devil can show up as an angel of light. And even the devil will tell you enough truth to suck you in to his deception. So just remember that. Now you know what they're doing? They, they, they have the Bible with them. They quote just enough scripture. You need to be careful to avoid everything about that. That's what the God, God's Word says. Just be obedient to God's Word. And he says, you will be perfect with the Lord thy God. You'll, you'll have everything you need. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. And as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's perfect. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. And will give you doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The Word of God is sufficient for all your needs. He said, For these nations which thou shalt possess hearkened unto observers of times and unto diviners, but as for thee, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee so to do. You're my people. You listen to what I say. You listen to my word. And then it says it in verse 15. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren like unto me. In other words, Moses says there's a prophet coming and he will be like me. And we read of the similarities. Moses was a type a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was the lawgiver. Well, Jesus fulfilled the law. Moses was a leader. Jesus was a leader. Moses was a redeemer. Redeemed them out of Egypt. God did that through him. Jesus is our redeemer. And he says, there's this prophet like unto me that's coming. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice the last word, unto him ye shall hearken. And so what he says here is, hear ye him. 
And that's what Peter was thinking about when he got afraid at the voice of God that thundered. He's saying, this is, this is it. And he knew Jesus was that prophet. Hear him. And so God, when he took Peter, James, and John up on top of that mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration, he was referencing Deuteronomy 18, and he says, this is him. This is him who will come in power and glory and splendor and majesty. This is him. Hear him. Hear his word. Not all these other demonic, foolish necromancers and demons. Don't hear them. Hear what God has to say. Now, go back to 2 Peter, our text. Here we go. You ready for this? Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know about what Peter says. First of all, Jesus is coming back. Do you believe in the second coming of Christ? I mean, I, I believe Jesus is coming back. Did you know there's more in the Word of God about His second coming than there is about His first coming? Isn't that the most amazing thing? And I, I, see, I see our world, and I see what's taking place in our world. I know all that. I I see it coming together. I try to make sure that, that I um, see what the Scriptures say about these nations and these events. We've kind of talked about that last few weeks on Wednesday nights, about Russia and Iran and things like that. But, uh, you know, uh, people ask me all the time, do you, do you think Jesus is coming back soon? And the answer is Yes. Because we're told to consider that he's coming back soon. We're told to, to live, to, to work and plan as if he weren't coming for a million years, but to live and witness and serve him as if he were coming back tomorrow. That, that's how we live. That's, that's what we're about. But I want to tell you there's some unique things happening in our world. that, And, and I heard one commentator said this happened before. 1700, such and such, 18. Well, here's the difference. We have the nation of Israel. The world never had a nation of Israel before. Isn't that wonderful? Man, I won't tell you. Tracy and I were talking not too long ago and about where we want to be buried. And um, I don't like those kind of conversations because the fact is she can bury me where she wants. You know, I won't say anything about it, I promise you. But uh, we have a general idea. But uh, I won't tell you, uh, don't you wish we could just rent a grave? Amen. Because we don't need it very, we're not going to need it very long if you know the Lord and you know Jesus. That's our hope. Man, hallelujah. Uh, I, I'm not looking for the undertaker, I'm looking for the upper taker. Well, now, this is what you need to get. If you don't get this, you're going to fall prey to every false teacher that comes down the pike. You're going to be discouraged. You're going to be confused if you don't get this. Why did Peter tell us about this awesome experience? 
Why did he tell us about what he heard and how he tied it in to, to the authority of the Word of God and how we need to not listen to these who are motivated by satanic means but are true to God's Word? Why did he tell us about these things? Well, for two reasons. Number one, he was confronting the false doctrine of these false teachers and he who were denying the power and glory of God by denying the doctrine of the second coming of Christ. But also, it's very important, because look at verse 19 of 1 Peter chapter 1. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Put this in context. The whole book of 2 Peter is talking about how you're going to stand for truth, not give way to heresy and false doctrine in troubling times when it attacks in the church. And he says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Some will tell you that Peter is saying this. I had this wonderful experience on the Holy Mount. I saw the glory of Jesus come through. I heard the voice of God. It was magnificent. It has impacted, impacted me all these years and still impacts me. I saw it with my own eyes. I have witnesses to back me up. At least two were with me when we saw it. Therefore, the Bible is more sure for me. Therefore, my experience, what I saw firsthand, confirms that the Word of God is true. That's what, Peter, that's what people say Peter's saying. Man, I had this experience, so God's Word must be true. Don't you know? This is what I saw. This is what I heard. God's Word must be true. So you got to believe it. Wrong. That's not what Peter is saying at all. And if you think that's what Peter is saying, you are on the road to following a heretic one day and a false teacher if you're not careful. Peter says here, listen to what he says, more certain... More sure, more sound, and more convincing than any experience I've ever had, including being up there with Jesus on the mountain, including being an eyewitness. More sure than that. More sound than that. I have more confidence in the Word of God than I do my experience. Peter says it is not. See, he, he says the Word of God is more sure than that. He doesn't say it's sure than that. He says more sure. Not just sure, it's more sure than any experience you have. See, folks, Peter says it is not the experience that confirms the Word of God, but it is the Word of God that confirms the experience as being from God. You need to be careful. Just because something good happens to you and it gives you the heebie-jeebie feeling and you think you're somebody and it feels good doesn't mean it's from God. The devil can be an angel of light. The devil can put money in your bank, right? The devil can make things smooth and work out real good. So just because you have an experience doesn't mean it's from God. Just because someone tells you a story and it makes you feel good and gives you a warm fuzzy in your heart. And you walk away saying, oh, that doesn't mean it's from God. You better test every experience by God's Word. 
me tell you, folks, we, we are, uh, we're in trouble today. So just because something happens or something feels right or something works out, it could very well be from the devil himself. Because I want to tell you something. False teachers and false prophets, they sure do sound good, don't they? They sure do have a zeal. I mean, folks, don't you wish we had the money that Benny Hinn does? Huh? Wouldn't you like to have that money? Well, to get it, we'd have to compromise an awful lot. We'd have to compromise the very doctrines of Christ himself. God instructs us from the Word, not our experience. Just remember that. You see, an experience can be deceiving. The devil can bring something your way and it sure does look like it's putting light on your path. But unless you are filled with the Holy Spirit and in the Word of God and trying it by the Word of God, he could very well lead you down a wrong road and cause you great harm and cause the kingdom of God great harm. You must know the Word of God and try every experience by that. Think of it this way. Peter said, I had an experience that nobody on the face of the earth had except for two other men, James and John. I saw Jesus, the radiated glory of Jesus shine through. I saw Moses and Elijah. I saw and heard, I heard the voice of God telling me to listen to Jesus. And he says, even that experience is not as sure as what I read and believe about God's Word. I will base my commitment and my doings and my thinking on God's Word. A third thing, real quickly, is discernment is needed. Discernment is severely lacking in the body of Christ today. Even in Bible preaching churches such as ours, discernment, Cole, we've talked about this, is just seems to be dead and buried. Too many within the church, experience is the key. They want to feel something. Um, they don't want to know anything. They want to just feel it. Pragmatism is, is what rules the church today in a lot of cases. Just because something has a satisfying result does not mean it is of God. Just because something seems to work uh, does not mean that it is of God. Programming, plans, actions. Just because it works doesn't mean it's what God would have us to do and could very well be totally contrary to the Word of God. Let me illustrate it to you. Let's take a trip to hell. So just imagine you're going down to hell and you got your recorder, you're going to interview somebody. And there in hell you find Pharaoh. Pharaoh of the Exodus. And you approach him and he's glad to see you because he's awful lonely down there. And you say, Pharaoh, I'd like to interview you. And he says, please do. And Pharaoh, didn't Moses give you the word of God saying, let my people go? Wasn't that the command of Jehovah, the one true God, to you from the mouth of Moses? Pharaoh says, absolutely. Sure did. 
Well, why didn't you let them go, Pharaoh? Why didn't you let them go? Pharaoh might say, well, I had a lot of pride. We understand that. But also, he might say this. Well, you know, Moses came in to the throne room, and there I was on the throne of Egypt, and he took his staff, Moses took his staff, and he threw it down, and it turned into a serpent. He said, that convinced me that Moses was legit. That his God, Jehovah, was surely one to be reckoned with. Surely he was. But then I had a marvelous experience. It gave me some great confidence. It really showed me something that at first I didn't realize. I said, what was that experience? You say, what was that experience? Pharaoh says, my own magicians who worship me and my gods, they took their staff and threw it down. And I said, well, ha, that experience tells me that my gods are just as powerful as Jehovah is. Now, they ate them, I know that, but hey. And then he says, and then Moses decided he was going to turn the water to blood. And you know what Jehovah did? He turned all the water to blood. The Nile River turned blood. He said it was sickening. He said, but Jehovah reserved a little bit of water. And I was convinced, maybe I need to listen to Jehovah. This could get bad. But then I had another experience. My pragmatic magicians did something that worked. And they turned the water to blood too. He says, as a matter of fact, there were a few of the plagues that they did. My magicians were able to imitate that Jehovah did. So my experience and the pragmatism of my magicians... Prove to me that Jehovah is not all he claims to be, namely all-powerful. Well, do you regret that following that experience? Do you regret basing your decisions on that experience and not on that simple word from God, let my people go? And Pharaoh said, well, I do now. I've been in hell for thousands of years. I see some of my soldiers who were drowned in the Red Sea. I see many of the Egyptians, my people, who were killed by the great hailstones that Jehovah judged our nation with. I do regret that. Well, Pharaoh, what advice would you give to people down there in Ocean Springs, Mississippi today at the First Baptist Church? I would say to them, Experiences can be deceiving. You better weigh it by the Word of God. Pragmatism may work for a while, but it may not be what God is doing. Satan can imitate an awful lot. You better 
be obedient to the book. It's the more sure word. More sure than any experience that you'll ever have. So, my friend, study and read the Word of God so you'll know it. Remember it. Keep it up. Be under a Bible preaching church. Stay true to it so you will not yield to experience and go down the road of a false doctrine. That is the lesson from 2 Peter. This is Cole Andrews, the family minister here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcasts and sermons today. We surely hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com, to learn more about our church. We sure would love to see you in church on Sunday. May God bless you.